a singing his song. All the little birds on Jaybird Street love to hear the robin go tweet, 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 rock and robin. Tweet, 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 rock, tweet, tweet, rock and robin. The intelligence of the great apes and dolphins has been reported on for decades, but what if there is another unexpected contender for the non-human genius award? Emerging research suggests uh, one has to look no further than many species of birds, and we have decided to make bird intelligence the topic of this week's Please Explain. Joining us now is Jennifer Ackerman, whose most recent book, The Genius of Birds, suggests that calling someone a bird brain isn't as much of an insult as we once thought. Her book is published by Penguin Press, and I'm very pleased that it brings Jennifer Ackerman back to our show. Welcome back. Thank you. And we invite our audience always uh, on these Please Explain segments to join in. If you have a question or a comment, you can call us at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash lopate or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Now, Jennifer, our negative views of birds are, are part of our language. Bird brain, silly goose, dodo. Why did birds get such a bad reputation? Yeah, so the bird brain uh, slur really originates with the idea that birds have such small, primitive brains that they're really only capable of the simplest mental processes. So wh- what got to the what got us to thinking maybe... We should take bird intelligence seriously. There was research suggesting that birds were actually capable of very complex behavior. They can solve problems. They can think logically. They can. Um, uh, they have really prodigious memories, and they can learn. Um, and and out of this sort of observations of of um, the complex behavior, uh, scientists decided to take another look at the bird brain itself and learn some very interesting things indeed. We often, uh, when we talk about intelligence, we focus on mammals. Uh, Humans are smarter than dolphins. Dolphins are smarter than mice. But um, I've read that uh, one well-known researcher, Irene Pepperberg, uh, is saying that parrots, parakeets, macaws, cockatoos, are. she calls them feathered primates. Absolutely. So that... Birds are just a lot smarter than than we ever imagined, and they are in many ways closer to our primate relatives than to their reptilian ones. And uh, she's right that you know birds have uh, brains really surprisingly large for their body size, and just as our our brains are. And um, and while their bird brains are small overall, they're really densely packed with neurons. Um, so they have very um, sophisticated information processing systems. You write about distinguishing intelligence in terms of degrees of intelligence and kinds of intelligence. What's the difference? Well, um, it, it, it was uh, Darwin who actually said that uh, that that uh, humans and other animals vary in the de- degree of intelligence rather than the kind. And birds actually have many of the same kinds of intelligence that uh, that we have, this ability to learn, to um, travel mentally in time, uh, to solve problems. But we test them to some degree through human standards, don't we? Are we anthropomorphizing them? Uh, yes, there's a risk of that. Um, there are, uh, they're still struggling to determine the best way to measure a bird's cognition. We do have our own standards, and, and scientists often 
devise experiments um, that are, uh, you know, based on our own problem-solving kinds of skills. What sorts of things? Well, they 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 test an a uh, bird's ability to, um, for instance, uh, open a food container. They pull strings or, or flip caps, um, and how quickly they do this, how um, and whether they're actually using insight or whether it's more of a trial and error kind of learning. They some of them can use tools. Yes, this is the um, the New Caledonian crow is arguably one of the smartest um, birds on the planet, possibly the, the smartest. It's uh, it's a bird that lives on one place in the planet. It's a small island in the southwest Pacific between Australia and Fiji. And this bird is not only very adept at problem solving, but it crafts its own tools. And um, it, so it's it really on par with some of the big primate tool users like chimps and orangutans. And then they teach each other how to make the well, tools? Well, juveniles follow their parents around for a couple of years learning how to make these tools. And they're very sophisticated tools. They're the only other animal on the planet besides human that makes hook tools. And... The birds learn very slowly. They make lots of mistakes when they're young, um, but they eventually learn how to, to make these very complex tools. Did they make them differently depending on where they're located? Yes, that's one of the remarkable things, that there are different styles of tool making in different parts of the island, and these styles of tool making are transmitted across generations. And that's really one very good definition of, uh, of culture, the tra faithful transmission of tool design. Uh, what, what kinds of materials are they constructing these tools out of? Well, some of them are stick tools um, that they can uh, make a little hook on the end of the tool. Um, the really sophisticated tools are made from uh, pandanus leaves, and these are leaves with um, spines along one edge. And the birds craft the tools while they're still on the leaf. So they have somehow this sort of mental image of the whole tool. And they um, it's a stepped tool. Uh, they, it, it's made in very complex stages. And uh, it's very precisely made. I saw a documentary, I think it was uh, involving Caledonian crows, uh, in which uh, a complicated uh, device was set up with locks and things uh, for the, the, the bird to figure out how to get to food. And uh, they did. They had to use a small tool to get to a bigger tool. Uh, and then when some of the locks were left open, the bird didn't even bother looking for the tools. It went right to uh, the food because it understood that the situation had changed. It was pretty smart. Very remarkable. And that that uh, there's a video of a, of a New Caledonian crow named 007 doing an eight-stage puzzle. Yes. And Smarter than dogs. Absolutely. And what's remarkable is that he shows, he demonstrates meta-tool use, which is um, using one tool to get another tool. So he understands what a tool is for. And then he also has a remarkable working memory in that he's keeping his goal in mind as he goes along those uh, those eight stages of the puzzle. Are birds like humans in that uh, personality differences would affect the way that they would, for example, perform uh, a problem in, in research? Yes, and that's one of the confounding variables in a lot of this research. There are individual differences among um, birds in a particular species, just as there are with humans. So there are bold birds and shy birds, you know, curious birds and less curious birds. And uh, what scientists struggle with is whether they're measuring cognitive ability or just more boldness, more willingness to do something uh, something new and different. My guest on today's Please Explain is Jennifer Ackerman. 
her book, The Genius, the Genius of Birds, is published by Penguin Press. It's WMYC, WMYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Uh, Alexis on Twitter writes, he remembers a study in which scientists got birds drunk and learned that they slur their songs. And she asks, what was up with that? <laughs> well, that's fascinating. Um, birds learn their songs the way we learn language. And um, the uh, the drunken bird is probably many of the same pathways that birds use in the brain to learn bird song. Uh, it's similar to our language learning pathways. And so, you know, we slur our words when we're, we're um, uh, drunk, and, and I imagine the bird is, his pathways are being affected in the same way. Well, don't birds actually use language sometimes? An African gray parrot named Alex became famous for proving that birds can not only mimic speech, but also use words creatively. How many species of birds are able to mimic speech? Many species of birds can mimic speech. Alex was uh, an extraordinary bird. The African gray parrots, parrots are really the parliamentarians of the, of the avian world. But there are many birds that can mimic, um, thrashers, lyrebirds, uh, mockingbirds. And it's really an extraordinary ability um, to, to learn how to imitate another sound. And lyrebirds also mimic uh, chainsaws, <laughs> construction yes. sounds. Uh, they mimic the songs of other birds. Right. And one of the um, African gray parrots that appears in my book is a, is a bird named Throckmorton who imitates the sound of the dogs in the household. So mm -hmm. his owner says she, she can't tell whether it's her dogs barking or her bird. And he also imitates the cell phone ring of her husband. So he will um, imitate this cell phone ring and then a bob will come <laughs> running from the garage and find that it's the bird, not the phone. <laughs> I know somebody who had a parrot who would respond to the doorbell ringing by saying, who's there? And then the person on the other side of the door would say, it's me. And uh, then the bird would say, who's there? <laughs> and it would get very frustrating. There was an article in the Times about studies of a yellow-naped Amazon, uh, Amazon in uh, Costa Rica. Uh, they have different populations um, uh, their parrots uh, who communicate with one another in distinct dialects that remain stable over decades like human languages and just as with people young parrots can easily ma uh, master multiple dialects while their elders can't and won't bother to do likewise so if they if some of them wind up going into another community the older ones wind up staying together and talking amongst themselves the younger ones integrate into the community it's Sounds very human. It certainly does, and and birds do have dialects sometimes that vary. You know, over just a distance of a mile, they have um, these traditions of, of songs that are passed down over generations and can and can vary tremendously. So, songs are a way of communicating complex thoughts. Well, um, do we know whether they use syntax? Yes, actually, one of my favorite um, examples of of bird communication is with uh, the chickadees and the um, and Japanese tits. They've done studies on both species. The chickadee has perhaps the most sophisticated uh, communication system of any land animal. It has um, uh, different um, meanings for the strings of Ds at the end mm. of its little call. So sometimes those those Ds will warn about predators, both the size of the threat and um, the degree of, of magnitude of that threat. And it's a call to other birds to, to mob this, uh, this predator. So if you walk through the forest and 
heard fricadees chirping, might they be talking about you? Yes, they might, although chickadees tend not to be um, phased by humans. They, uh, they're more worried about small, agile predators like uh, sparrowhawks and pygmy owls. Uh, a listener wonders about how birds create their sounds. They don't have vocal cords. No, they have a fascinating um, uh, organ called a syrinx. And it is, um, in some birds, it's very uh, delicate, very sophisticated. In some birds, um, it, it allows them to make two sounds at once so that they're almost like singing duets with themselves. Mike on Twitter asks, is tool use by some birds innate and genetic, or are they figuring this out on their own and learning? Is it a cultural thing? Well, it's a combination, I would say, and they're still teasing out what, uh, for instance, the New Caledonian crow, um, they're just beginning to to try to determine, is there something special about this bird's brain, its genes, or is it, it its environment, or is it some combination of those things? What benefit is there in mimicry? Don't vocalizations make birds vulnerable to predators? Yes, they do, but they're also sexy. <laughs> so a lot of them... This is all about <laughs> attracting mates? Well, to a degree, yes. Um, uh, it is thought that, um, that a bird with a, a wide repertoire um, of well-sung songs is just much more appealing to a female. Is there a difference between a bird call and a bird song? Yes, bird calls are generally shorter, uh, more succinct. Uh, songs are longer, and uh, calls tend to be um, uh, innate, and songs are learned. But the com complexity can vary. You can have a very simple uh, song and a very complex call. Humans have a, wisdom, a window for uh, language learning. If it's missed, we become unable to develop fluency in a language, like in the case of feral children, who were raised away from language. Does that also apply to birds? Yes, it does. There are open-ended learners um, who can continue to learn songs throughout their lives, and then there are close-ended learners like, like ours, like we are. And, um, and it's much, uh, a, a window kind of shuts on their ability to learn. And one of the interesting pieces of research is that um, a scientist has determined that the um, female listening to a bird sing has an effect on its um, uh, ability to continue learning so that, that it, it will shut down after a point that there's actually a physiological mechanism that, that um, allows this to happen. So, uh, well, let's take a little break and we'll come back with more. My guest is Jennifer Ackerman who is, uh, has been writing about science, nature, and human biology for almost three decades now, an author of a number of books. The one we are discussing on today's Please Explain is The Genius of Birds. It is published by Penguin Press. Stay with us for more. said one day as he flew across the way he spotted me then he licked his chops and this is what he said ah die 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 said the buzzer die die what a meal you'll be die 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 said the buzzer and bring bad meal of meat to me die die we're back with today's please explain look at Birds, uh, Jennifer Ackerman, her latest book, The Genius of Birds, which is published by Penguin Press. We've been talking about smart birds. Um, 
there's some kind of a range, isn't there? Um, I would think that, uh, from what I've heard, turkeys are not all that smart. Emus aren't all that smart. Right. There, there is a range, um, and there's a, a scientist named Louis Lefebvre who has who devised a, a kind of IQ scale for birds um, some years ago, and it's based on the idea that smart birds innovate in the wild. Um, so this is not based on laboratory tests, but on behavior in the wild. And he um, gathered anecdotes about different families of birds and the new things that they were doing. Um, this was over 75 years of reports in ornithological journals. And then he sorted the anecdotes by family and determined that there was a correlation between this, these innovative behaviors and brain size. Um, and there is a scale, and yes. So um, turkeys have small brains comparative to do, their brains, yes, to their body and, size? Right, and the birds at the top of the scales, uh, the corvids, uh, magpies, jays, crows, have very big brains for their body size, and it's the relative size of the brain to the body that's really important. Uh, <laughs> that's true for pretty much all animals. Yes, it is. That's right. And we're outliers, and so are the crows. They have very big brains for their body size. Ravens as well? Yes, ravens. That's right. And also at the top of the scale uh, were um, uh, hawks and um Herons. There are a lot of uh, surprising birds like uh, finches, sparrows, uh, tits. They're all um, also very intelligent. Robins? Robins, not so much. Um, my favorite they robins. They very pretty. Yeah, they're beautiful. But my, I have robins nesting in the tree in my front yard. And the, every single year he uh, gets on the rearview mirror of my car and just pecks, the <laughs> pecks at it and... Um, thinking that it's a rival. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the genome of a typical mammal ranges from 1 to 8 billion base pairs. Is there a connection between the intelligence of the species and the genome length? Well, birds have a somewhat condensed genome, and they thought that that, that might be related to their um, uh, uh, flight and the demands of flight. Um, but uh, it's really, uh, I think the intelligence is not so much about the genome size, but about the density of neurons. I've often heard that the chicken is the closest uh, living ancestor to Tyrannosaurus rex, and birds, uh, I think it's generally believed today, evolved from dinosaurs during the Jurassic period. Um, how do we know chickens are like T-Rex? Well, there are lots of... Um, there are lots of similarities, and, and actually turkeys have um, uh, what they think is the most similar genome to, um, to dinosaurs, so uh, there's a, there's, they're able to compare DNA evidence now. Um, but uh, there, there are also many transitional fossils, which are very, very interesting, coming out of China, and particularly the, the Liaoning province in the northeast of China, where I was there when I saw when they were bringing out the first fossils, and they had um, really amazing, delicate impressions of feathers on these little dinosaurs. So should we assume that there were some very smart dinosaurs? And I think so. Some, could we tell by the size of the brain pan? Uh, that's a good question. I think that um, there is a, a dinosaur I just read about recently that is, was considered to have a very large brain size relative to its body size. They were also um, a good parents, dinosaurs were. So, um, you know, both parents participated, males included, in the, uh, in the rearing of young. 
how does the density of neurons compare between the bird brain and the human brain? Well, it's surprisingly um, dense, at least in the corvids. There's um, a great, great density of neurons, and it's uh, also important about where those neurons are located. Um, and birds, you know, were thought not to have a cortex like ours. You know, so that we thought that was where all the smart stuff happened is in that six-layered cortex that we have. Birds don't have um, a, an architecture like that. They have their neurons are arranged in um, like cloves in a garlic bulb, but um, but they have a cortex-like structure, and the connections between their neurons are very similar to ours. They have similar pathways. Do we assume that they dream when they sleep? Oh, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. They do have REM sleep, uh, which is interesting to me. Because we could see dogs dreaming. Yes. And baby birds have more REM sleep than adult birds. So they think that the REM sleep in birds, as in humans, may be um, related to brain development. Can we talk about pigeons for a moment? New Yorkers have all sorts of mean names for them, flying rats, rats with wings. But don't they have superpowers of their own? They do. They, uh, I think um, their great superpower is their navigational skill, um, which is really stunning. Uh, you know, they, they can find their way to places they've only been to once or never before. And um, We had the carrier pigeons uh, who were a major source of communication for a long time before the telegraph was th invented. That's right. Absolutely. During World War II, there are many, many pigeons who were heroes for transmitting their messages just in time to, uh, to save troops. Do we have any idea of how they managed to orient themselves in unknown territory and find their way back home? Yes, it's, it's still um, a mystery in many ways, but scientists are zeroing in on a pretty fascinating understanding of their, their geospatial abilities. They have a kind of map and compass strategy, which they use to, to navigate. And that map step is in determining where they are at the point of departure and, and which way they need to travel to get home. And, um, and then they have their compass sense, which keeps them on their path. And the whole system um, consists of lots of different kinds of information. There's uh, sunlight, stars, magnetic fields, um, landscape features, wind, weathers, perhaps even sound and smell. And all of this is filtered through the bird's brain and then used to guide it to its destination. You said before that birds have different kinds of personalities. There are shy birds and opportunistic birds. But are there loner birds and, and social birds? Yes, the birds have a very um, uh, interesting and complex and nuanced social life. And this is one of the revelations, I think, of the past decade. Um, there, there are, um, you know, birds, <laughs> birds do lots of the same social behaviors we do. They deceive and manipulate. They cheat. They, um, uh, they console one another. And they may even grieve. So they, uh, scientists have been able to find a link between how socialized a, a bird species is and its intelligence? Well, uh, one of the theories about why birds are intelligent is that they uh, are intelligent is that they have um, had to meet social challenges. So there are they are a social. Um, many birds are, are very social species. Most um, have at least a mate, and many are part of a larger flock. And being part of a flock or bonded to a mate in um, is a very demanding thing cognitively. You have to um, to understand lots of different things about your um, your partner and also your flock mates. So some are monogamous, but others aren't. 
Yes, we used to think lots of birds were monogamous, and they are socially monogamous, about 90% of species. Sexually, not so much. They do um, stray, both males and females. I've uh, found some really complex bird nests. They look like they have serious engineering abilities. Yes, we used to think that nests were, um, the building of nests was just an innate behavior, that they had a sort of map in their head that they just translated into a nest. But now we're understanding that that's not the case at all. Birds actually learn to make nests, they, and they get better over time. And they're very selective about um, um, the materials that they use, and they often cooperate to build, which is also a cognitive uh, But they skill. have widely different techniques. Yes, they do. The uh, bird, world of bird nests is, is fascinating. Um, I found one little bird nest in, in uh, Borneo that was made almost like with a kind of Velcro um, hmm. to keep it together with spider webs and just uh, just a beautiful structure. Yvette writes on our show page, can birds play dumb? My cockatiel sings to herself but uh, when, when she's on a swing, but when I try to get her to do it on cue, she refuses. Yes, that's probably a little bit of manipulative behavior, and I've heard this story before about cockatiels. They're very willful birds, and um, they do not like to perform on demand. <laughs> we, but we have no idea why. No. Uh, another listener, Ray, writes on our show page, your distinction between songs and calls brings up a question. Do those invasive house sparrows have a song or just a call? All I ever hear from them is a lone, a toneless, repetitive, cheap, 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 kind of a bird equivalent of a human repeatedly shouting, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think that would be considered a, um, a a song. Although I may be wrong about that. The the, the range of bird songs. You know, the bluebird has a, a this sort of mumbling little melancholy chortle. You'd hardly call it a song. And then you have you know forty note arias by uh, with birds and and the sedge warbler has this incredible Byzantine song. So there's tremendous range. Um, and uh, yeah, and the the, the sparrow is uh, um, has a, it, at best a very simple song. Flying birds have lightweight, hollow skeletons in order to make flying easier. Wouldn't a bird with a, a bigger, heavier brain proportionally be more likely to be weeded out because they can't fly as fast? We used to think there was a, a trade-off between flight and cognitive abilities, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, that the, there, to a degree, this is true in that migratory birds, birds that fly very long distances, tend to have smaller brains. But I don't think that's so much about the demands of flight as it is about the um, the. the 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 way they've met their environmental challenges, which is about moving from place to place rather than um, seeking hidden sources of food w where they are. Migrating birds often congregate uh, along their migration in certain places on a certain day. Um, is climate change affecting that? Absolutely. Um, it's it, it's inevitable, I guess. The um, the timing of these migrations and the, especially the stops at staging grounds, but also the um, the timing of, of of breeding in the Arctic, for instance, those things are all hinge around the ex the kind of bloom of a food source, the abundance of a food source, and and when that changes, the the timing of the migration um, 
will be affected. There's no question that uh, that these birds will, may find that their food source isn't there when they stop or when they end up in their breeding area. And they choose certain very specific areas to breed in. Absolutely. Um, for instance, the red knot is a bird that breeds in the Arctic, and its food source is um, is threatened by global warming. And those the numbers of those birds are dropping dramatically. As far as mating rituals go, the bowerbird is pretty impressive and complicated. The male birds collect tokens and dance while the female birds watch and then select the right one. Uh, what are the female birds looking for? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Yes, bowerbirds um, uh, build a little uh, a structure, um, a very elaborate, made of sticks, and they make a little stage platform from themselves, for themselves made of sticks. Then they gather objects, um, colored objects. The satin bowerbird loves blue, so it collects all kinds of blue objects. And then the male um, woos a female into his bower and performs a little dance and song for her. Now she is scoping out everybody else in the forest, everybody at their all the other males in their bowers, and she's looking for um, how much bling he has, how many objects he's collected, how symmetrical his uh, little um, archway is that she sits in while she watches him dance. She's looking for signs that he's a good mimic and um, good at his uh, physical moves, his dancing. Um, all of these things are signs of his cognitive abilities. And so she's looking for the smartest guy. She's looking for, smart is definitely um, what she's looking for, yeah. Hmm. That, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Do you want to improve the species? A listener wondered whether birds are continually getting smarter. That's a very good question. I think we don't know the answer to that, but certainly um, there there are signs that birds, especially birds in uh, that are adapt well to our urban habitats, are um, are are becoming intelligent in in interesting ways. Tomorrow you'll be uh, participating in two events as part of the this year's World Science Festival at NYU's Kimmelman Center. Yes, there's a panel moderated by WMYC's John Hockenberry is one of them. For more information about both events, go to wmyc.org slash lopate. And I thank you so much for coming by to talk about the genius and the special qualities of birds. Uh, the Genius of Birds is the title of Jennifer Ackerman's latest book, which is published by Penguin Press. And it's been illuminating. Thank you. It's been a delight to be here.